Everybody open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3 in the overflow in Perry, Oklahoma. Everyone open your Bibles to Philippians 3, starting with verse 5. This is the final official message in, in a series entitled Fresh Encounter. Since the beginning of this year, we've been seeking God together for revival. Uh, in the old days, revival often meant a series of meetings. And let's be honest, often the revivals we attended uh, were stale. It was just a, another week-long uh, Sunday morning warmed over kind of thing uh, because the revival really isn't something that we can bring it's not something that we can concoct by following a formula by, by bringing in an evangelist and to be real honest I, I know more than anybody it's not something that, that, that we can preach you, you can't preach a church into revival it's only something that we can receive it's only something that God can bring and he will bring it if, if we want it so that's what it comes down to, brothers and sisters. It comes down to, to wanting God. Not wanting revival, not, not wanting some experience, not wanting the church to grow so much as just simply wanting Christ, wanting Him. So to be really honest, there's probably one person standing in the way of revival, and it's, it's, it's you, it, it, it's me, it, it's each of us as, as individuals. God can't do for us. He can't do through us what we won't allow him to do in us. And we still continue to hold back as individuals. Uh, we still won't let him have his perfect way in us. In the old days, uh, Christians would often come forward and, and, and rededicate their lives. We truly believe that once you're saved, you're always saved. There is no getting saved over and over and over again. Christ's sacrifice was once for all. At the same time, we know that as God's people, we tend to drift from him. We tend to depart from him. And there are moments in our lives when we need to come back to him and put our lives on the altar once more and dedicate ourselves to his service and to his will for us in a fresh and new way. I'm asking you to do that today. I'm begging you to join me in doing this today. You don't have to wait for the end of the service. The altar is open right now. You can come. You can pray. You can put yourself back in the hands of the Lord and let him make your life fresh and new. You can have his spirit upon you as you once knew. You can walk in power and you can walk in his presence. You can know his nearness again, but you have to want him. You have to want him. Philippians chapter 3 is... It's just a shattering chapter. Uh, it's a shattering passage of Scripture because of what Paul says. And I want you to listen. And I know that even in the course of reading it and even in the course of hearing this message, you're not going to be at this place. You may not be able to say what Paul says. But I want you to hear what Paul says. Philippians chapter 3, verse 5. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I, I was zealous, so zealous, that I harshly persecuted the church. As for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but... Now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. I once considered these things valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, 
Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Take your seats. turn of the century, 1904, there was a a man named Evan Roberts. Actually, to tell the story, you got to start with a boy named Evan Roberts. He was a boy. When he was 11 years old, he left school, uh, which many boys uh, had to do in those days, and he went to work with the men. He worked beside his father uh, in a mine, a coal mine, 11 years old. This would have been his whole life. because most boys in his day, that would have been their life. But, but Evan was, uh, was different. When he was 13, when he was 13 years old, Evan Roberts just became absolutely um, obsessed, fanatically obsessed with Christ. He was a Christian. He, he already knew Christ. He already went to church, and um, he just loved the Lord. He would spend nights... I, I, all day in the coal mines and all night he would spend reading God's word and memorizing scripture. I'm talking about a 13-year-old. He just became absolutely taken over at age 13, though, with the idea of knowing Christ. He wanted more and more and more of of Christ. It it was his obsession. It, It was everything that he lived for, and he prayed. He started praying for revival in his own life. He just wanted God to have him completely, and he wanted to know Christ completely. He just wanted Christ at 13. And he says that he prayed. He prayed every day. He he prayed his heart out. He just wanted Christ. He was 13 years old when he started, and he says he prayed for 10 or 11 years. Let that sink in. He prayed for 10 or 11 years. In his 20s, still working as a coal miner, he was beginning to move toward ministry, but had not really taken steps toward that yet. 
he went to a service, an evangelistic service by an, uh, a man named Seth Joshua, not even important. Seth Joshua preached a sermon that night. We don't even know what he preached. It was his closing prayer, though, that, that, that became important because Evan Roberts was there with his best friend and his brother, and they heard Seth Joshua preach, and then they heard Seth Joshua close the service in prayer. And in that prayer, in a longer prayer, Seth Joshua said some words, and what he said was, Lord, bend us. Oh, Lord, bend us. Bend us. And young Evan Roberts, after praying that, that he could know Christ and praying that he could see revival and after praying that he could give his whole heart to Christ for all of those years, it was in that moment when he heard those words, bend us, O Lord. Evan says that that's when he felt the Holy Spirit say, that's what you need. That's what you need. That's what I'm waiting for in your life. And Evan Roberts that night just began to pray the words, oh Lord, bend me. Oh Lord, bend me. Bend me. And they say that that night, Evan Roberts, that young 20-year-old man, was laid across the pew in front of him, weeping and crying, aching for the Lord, simply praying words, Lord, bend me. Lord, bend me. Lord, bend me. Evan Roberts said that in that night, he told the Lord, God, if you don't do something in my heart, if you don't give me more of you, if you don't let me see revival, just kill me. I can't live. I can't live like this. I want you. Kill me. Or, or let me see revival. He went back to his home church, which is where everything blows up. He went back to his home church, and he went to his home pastor, and he said, I, God's telling me something, and I want to talk to the congregation. And the pastor said, no, I'm not going to let you just have the congregation, but, but I'll let you speak. And I'll tell anybody who wants to stay and hear you that they can stay after the service and hear you. So Evan Roberts never preached a sermon and didn't really have a sermon that day, but he just knew that God was, God was wanting him to say something. So 17 people stayed that day. 17 people stayed to hear what Evan Roberts would say. Not because they expected anything, it's just, you know, just to stay out of curiosity and see what a man would say. Evan Roberts had four things to say that day. He said he felt like God was telling him that there were four things necessary in his life and in the lives of everybody else. God wanted to do something. God wanted to do something great, but four things were necessary. And this is what Evan Roberts said that day to 17 people. He said, we have to repent. We have to repent of our sins. We have to turn loose of all of the sin in our lives, and we have to receive forgiveness from Christ. First thing he said, we've got to repent. We have to repent. Second thing he said was, beyond repentance of all of the known sin, we need to root out of our lives everything that's just questionable. The things in our lives that may or may not be sin, we're not too sure. If you're not sure, Evan Roberts said, we're going to push those things out of our lives too. We're going to get serious about holiness. If there's anything in our lives that's just questionable, we're going to get rid of that too. We're going to confess our known sin and then root everything out of our lives that's merely questionable. Third thing, we're going to make a commitment to obey the Holy Spirit immediately. When the Spirit speaks whatever he wants from us, we're going to promise to obey immediately. We're going to obey. Fourth thing, anyone who hasn't done it, he said, we're going to publicly confess Christ as our Lord and Savior. 
four things. That was his entire sermon. It wasn't polished. It wasn't from an educated mind. It wasn't from a trained speaker. It was just from a man who was completely on fire for God. 17 people heard him say that that day. Understand, nine months later, over 100,000 people had come to Christ. And a revival began that swept around the world. It swept around the world. How did it start? One man, one man who prayed with all of his heart, Lord, bend me, bend me, bend me. You understand, it starts with, with that kind of prayer because honestly, I am the only man, I'm the only person that I can control. I'm the only person that, that truly I can make a commitment for. Mine is the only heart that I can bring. I can't bring my, my children's heart. I, I can't bring my friends along with me. I can't bring a church. There's only one heart, one person that I can bring. And the same thing is true for you. You can't control other people. You can't pray for revival for other people. You, you just can't. It's only your heart. It's only your heart that you can really bring. It's only your heart that you have control over. And that's why that incredible prayer, Lord, bend me, bend me, is so powerful. Lord, bend me. In the scripture, Philippians chapter 3, Paul is, is dealing with the problem in the church. The problem is that Paul had opponents, Paul had enemies, and I don't know what you picture when you think of the enemies of Paul, but truly they're enemies of the gospel, and that's the only thing that bothers Paul. Paul isn't in this for himself. It's not about his ego. It's not about somebody coming along behind and messing up Paul's work. That's not Paul's fear. Paul's fear is that there are those who are coming into the church, and they are Christians, understand that. The ones who, who Paul opposes, they're, they're Christian teachers and, and Christian preachers, but the problem is they teach and preach something that isn't exactly Christ. Now, it involves Christ, and it sounds like a gospel message, but it's not exactly Christ because they add to it. They add to it. And in this particular case, what they're adding to it is a list of rules. What they're trying to do is, is impose a lifestyle. They're trying to impose a certain kind of behavior that has everything to do with their preferences, with their Jewish tradition. They want to make everybody become like them. They want everybody to be Jews and then become Christians, even the Gentiles. And Paul is saying, you can't do that. You can't add anything to the gospel. The gospel is faith in Christ alone. It, it is Christ alone. And you can't add anything to it, even if it's something good. You don't get to add to Christ. Paul's concern is that the false teachers, those who are coming along behind him, they're trying to add other things to, to the simple gospel of Christ. They're going to pull the congregation, going to pull the church away from Christ. And they'll never even know what hit them. They'll never even understand how they've drifted. Because what's being imposed upon them, the gospel that's preached, is the gospel of salvation through Christ, but it also adds a whole lot of good works to it. It adds a lot of Jewish tradition to it. And Paul says, listen to me, I've been down that road. 
I've been that man. I have been that good Jewish person. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Every good Jewish boy was. This is what Paul is saying. I followed all of those rules. I was circumcised on the last day. I'm a pure-blooded Jew. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. If you want to talk about the law, I was a Pharisee. I went to the very, very top of my class. And if you want to talk about righteousness, I was blameless. That's, that's an awful lot to claim for oneself. But Paul says, if you want to measure my life by the Jewish law, I never had any faults. I was perfect in relationship to the law. I don't even know how he can say that, except that he does. I kept the law to the letter. But something's happened in my life, and I see things differently now. You understand, if you're going to pray, Lord, bend me, if you're going to let God begin to do something in your life, if you're going to experience genuine revival, then what God is going to bend in your life is your sense of values. What God is going to radically, radically bend in your life is your sense of what matters and what's important. And this is what Paul says. I was that Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a person that in religious terms, I was perfect. I was perfectly religious. But Paul says, I reached a point in my life. Notice what he says. I once thought these things were valuable, verse 7. But now I consider them, say the word, worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. The King James says dung. That's getting a little bit closer. What Paul says there literally is dog excrement. Understand? It's the most vile word he could come up with. To be really honest, this is probably a little bit profane here. I probably can't say what would be the best translation of what Paul says here. But he's giving an account of his entire life before Christ. And he says it all adds up to zero. It all adds up to nothing. It's worth nothing. It's, it's like dog crap, he says. It, it's absolute zero. It's worthless. It's rubbish. It's garbage. It's nothing compared to the infinite, the, the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Everything, everything else, everything that's not Christ is nothing, Paul says. It's worth nothing. Knowing Christ is everything. Have you ever reached that point in your life? If you were to take your own life and, and, and add up the two columns and take in this column everything in your life that you think is valuable, your marriage, your husband, your wife, your children, your, your job, your church. Add it all up. I'm not talking about the things that are obviously garbage. I'm talking about the things you love. I'm talking about the good things. Your family's involvement in sports. Your family's involvement in music. All of your hobbies. All the things that are dear that you love. Your grandma. You just add it all up. Because this is what Paul is talking about. Paul takes a list of the best things, the things in his life he could boast about, the things he used to live for. This isn't the list of things that are obviously worthless. These are the things that everybody else in the world would say, now that's it. That's the target. These are the things that matter. And Paul says, no, they don't. 
Not compared to Christ. Not compared to Christ. Not compared to the infinite, infinite value of knowing him. You want to know what stops this church? You want to know what stops you and me from genuine revival, from genuinely knowing Christ? Because honestly, that is not our highest aim. We don't consider knowing Christ the most valuable thing in our life, the most worthy goal to pursue. We just don't. I can't see inside your heart, but I can see the fruit of your life and the fruit of our church's life. And it's obvious, knowing Christ, pursuing Christ, he is nothing the most infinite value for us. He ranks somewhere in our list of priorities, but he's not top priority. It's just not. If Christ were everything to us, our lives would look different. My life would look different. a lady visiting our church several years ago. She didn't join. You don't know her. But you know her. You know You know her. She said, Pastor Tim, I'm very interested in your church. I said, I'm so glad to hear that. Can I answer any questions? Anything you like to know about our church? She said, well, I just wonder, have you ever thought about leading a daytime Bible study? I said, you know, I've thought about that at times. What, what, what did you have in mind? She said, well, in, in the church I came from, the pastor led a weekday Bible study, and it was just wonderful. I said, really? Well, tell me about it. What kind of group would you like to see at Woodburn? She said, well, I was thinking that, that you could lead a group, and, and it would be a group where people would get together on the weekday. You know, people who didn't work could, could come in and, and study the Bible together. I said, that, that, that sounds nice. Honestly, that sounds pretty good. She said, yeah, you know, what I would like is a group that meets like that, but, but without a lot of guilt or obligation. You know, the kind of thing where if you get up and you feel like coming, you can come and it'll be there. But if you, if you don't feel like coming, it's no big deal. I'm just really tired. I'm really tired of studying the Bible with people for whom it's no big deal. <laughs> I'm just really tired of, of, of groups gathering in church and, and, and saying that we're seeking Christ, but obviously Christ is no big deal. I'm just really tired of that. God help us. I have no intention of starting another group for people who think studying the Bible is no big deal. No intention. But I would love to be a part of any group anywhere for whom Christ is the only big deal. I would just give a kidney out of my body, a kidney out of my body, to be a part of a church for whom Christ is the only big deal. Do you understand what Paul is saying? Everything is worthless. Everything is meaningless. It has no value whatsoever. No value compared to knowing Christ. I want to know Christ, Paul says. I want to know Christ. Just Christ. It's his single focus, his one life goal. I just want to know Christ. And I want to know the power of his resurrection. And I want to know, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to suffer with him. I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what that means. Why would Paul say, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power that raised him from the dead. And I want to share in his 
sufferings. I want to suffer with him. What is he saying? Because that's a fanatical kind of commitment. Right there. That's a fanatical. That's a dangerous. That is something that you and I can hardly understand. Why would anybody say, I want to suffer with him? I want to suffer with Christ. I want to know him. I want to share his power. But I want to be in fellowship with his sufferings. I want to know Christ's suffering. sufferings now stop and think through this with me Jesus told his disciples the world hates me the world hates me and the world's going to hate you too Jesus told his disciples that if anybody wanted to follow him that they would have to pick up a cross you understand a cross is an instrument of death. It, it is a torture rack. It is a method of suffering. And Jesus said, if anybody wants to follow me, then they are, without exception, going to have to pick up a cross of their own and, and follow me. You understand, Jesus' path, if you're going to follow his path, it is a path that inevitably leads to a cross. It, it inevitably leads to a cross. You, you won't be the exception. You're not going to be the person who comes to Christ and then lives a life that is absolutely luxurious, comfortable, prosperous. You're not going to be the exception. Everyone who follows Christ picks up a cross and follows. It is a way of suffering. It is going to be a way that's going to put you at odds with the world because the world hates Christ. You understand? The world despises Christ. Now, the world has a, a, a certain kind of political tolerance for Christians who know their place, for Christians who will keep their faith to themselves. But if you really begin to burn for Christ in a way that becomes noticeable, the world will despise you. I happen to like Tim Tebow. I don't happen to think he's any kind of hero. You understand that I don't get sports. You don't know that. This isn't a sports metaphor. I'm just talking about a Christian man. He's no hero. He's just a Christian man who doesn't hide his faith. That's not supposed to be heroic. It's not supposed to make the news. It's not supposed to make him any different from you and me. Do you understand? He's normal. We're the abnormal ones. To go through your entire life and call yourself a Christian but do nothing noticeably like Christ, that is absolutely contradictory. I question your faith. To, to call yourself a Christian, but honestly, the people who know you well would have no idea that you love Jesus. Do you understand? I question your love for Jesus. I just have to question it. How can you possibly claim to have Christ inside of you, but he's not sticking out anywhere? Do you understand? I just question your commitment. I, I'm sorry. But Tim Tebow and anybody else like him, th these aren't abnormal people. This is what the Christian faith simply looks like. It's not hidden. It's not private. It's something passionate. It is an all-consuming, more important than anything else. I want to know Christ, Paul said. I want to know Christ. And that desire, that, that, that single-minded passion for Christ is going to have you swimming upstream from everything else in the world. You understand? That's why God is going to have to bend you and bend what you value. I want to know his sufferings, Paul says. Why does he say that? 
Some of you have gotten married. The, the uh, ceremony where you got married involved just a few things. You stood at an altar like this, perhaps, or maybe you were in Vegas. You stood at an altar like this, and you made promises. Do you remember how those sound? Because they sound pretty much the same for all of us. I, I take you. I promise to love, honor, and cherish you. For, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, in joy and in sorrow, forsaking all others, keep myself only for you, as long as we both shall live. Something like that. Now, what were you saying? It's that joy and sorrow part. It's the sickness and health part. It, it's for better, for worse, for richer, for poor. What were you saying? You were simply saying, I want to be with you in this thing. I want to be with you in, in life. I want to live life with you no matter what, no matter what that entails, no matter whether we have joy or, or sorrow. I'm going to share both with you. If it's sorrow, I'm going to share your sorrow. Now, when you made that vow, you had no idea how hearts could break, did you? You have no idea how sick a person can become. You have no idea what for better, for worse. You have no idea what for poorer feels like. But it's still the promise you make. I, I, I want to be with you in this thing. I, I just want to be with you. And, and my promise is to be committed to you no matter, even if we, even if everything goes really bad, I, I'm going to be with you. And I think this is what Paul is saying. You see, the problem is we have this tendency to, to commit to Christ, but our commitment is always conditional. I, I want you, Christ. I want to know Christ if... If I'm never embarrassed because of, because of my Christian faith, I want to know Christ. I, I want to know his power uh, as long as my prayers get answered. Now, I want to know Christ if I can still do what I want to do. I want to know Christ as long as I can still not lose friends at school. I, I want to know Christ if nobody in my family ever gets really sick. Or I want to know Christ as long as nobody that I love ever dies. I want Christ if nobody in the church ever hurts my feelings. I want Christ as long as nobody ever makes me mad, as long as I always get my way. I want Christ if, you understand, it's always conditional with you and me. We want him if, as long as we still more or less get our way with things. We'll take him in the power of his resurrection. We don't want him in the fellowship of his sufferings. But Paul's commitment is not an iffy kind of commitment. It's not a matter of if, but it's, it's more a matter of even if. I want to know Christ even if I share in his sufferings. I want to know Christ even if it costs me everything in this life because all of it is worthless compared to him. Even if I lose it all, I want to know Christ even if my prayers don't seem to get answered, even if the whole church doesn't see it my way, even if everyone abandons me, if my marriage falls apart, if my children leave me, even if I still am going to do this with you, Christ, I want Christ. I want to know Christ, even if I share in his sufferings. It was a, a simple prayer. It changed the heart of a young man. And it changed the world for a time. It was just a prayer 
Lord, bend me. Bend me. We should be at the place where all of us who say we love Christ, who say that we want him, we should be at the place where we would say, Lord, I want you even if I suffer. But I know that some of us can't say that today. Honestly, we can't say that. But would you simply pray, Lord, bend me. Lord, you know that I can't say that right now, but I want you to bring me to the place where I would say even that, Lord. Even if I suffer with you, Lord, Lord, bend me. I'm asking you to consider the four things that Evan Roberts asked people to consider in his day. I want to ask you today in this service, in this moment, I'm asking you to repent. I'm asking you to turn from your sin, the known sin, the secret things, the things that even your parents don't know, the things that you keep from your spouse, the secrets that you keep, the things in your life that you know are sin, the things right now that you're so afraid of being exposed in. I'm talking about your addictions. I'm talking about your private, private sins. I'm saying you need to repent of those. You have to be done with those. You can't have Christ and have your sin too. I'm calling you to repent. To truly repent and receive the forgiveness that comes from Christ and, and, and the blood from the cross. You understand? Repent. I'm asking you to do that today. You don't need to wait for anything other than to simply come and let your heart break before the Lord and leave your sin behind. Repent. Beyond that, I'm asking you to do the second thing Evan Roberts said. I'm asking you to be willing to root from your life things that are just questionable. Things that might even be okay, but you're just not sure. They might be sinful. They might be in the way. If there's anything doubtful about it, get it out of your life. Root it right out of your life. It doesn't matter if it's a sin for other people. If it's making you stumble, get it out of your life. Get serious about holiness. Get serious about living for Christ. If there's anything in your life that you're just not sure about, go ahead and get rid of it. Push out of your life everything that's doubtful, everything that might be holding you back. If it might be causing you to stumble, get serious about following Christ and get it out of your life. Do that today. Make that commitment today. And then go home and throw out whatever's necessary. You understand? Get it out of your life. I'm asking you today to make a promise, to make a vow in your heart that from this point forward, you will immediately do whatever the Holy Spirit asks you to do. Whatever it is. And I'm not just talking about things in this house. I'm talking about your life. I'm talking about at work. I'm talking about at school. I'm talking about at home. Whatever the Spirit tells you to do, you don't argue. You don't negotiate. You don't learn to put that voice in the back of your head. You obey Him immediately. You obey Him. You live a life of simple, immediate obedience. Whatever He says, you do. Every day, this is the way you live your life. Instant obedience to Christ. Last thing, if you've never done so, I'm asking you today to publicly confess Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you've never reached that point in your life where you've allowed him to bend you, if you've never ever opened the door of your heart and asked him to come in, to take over, to be your master, to be your king, then understand, I, I, I want you to do that today. Publicly, in this service, come forward, confess Christ, become a new Christian. All your life you've been hearing Jesus knocking on the door of your heart. You can feel him. You can hear it right now, can't you? You just know that Jesus is knocking on your heart's door. I'm just saying that today is the day you open that door and let him come in.
This is the last of the Fresh Encounter messages. We haven't experienced anything like revival yet. We can't produce that on our own, you understand? That will come from God, from Christ in his time. People through the years have sometimes prayed for decades for it before it came. The important thing, though, is that you've got to want it. Not revival, not the thrill that comes from revival. You've got to want Christ. If you don't want Christ, if you don't want him more than anything else, if you don't want him enough to leave everything for the sake of gaining him, then understand You'll have no part of him. You'll have no part of him until you are ready to surrender everything. Surrender everything. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we confess that in our lives, Lord, we attach way too much value to everything that's not you. We think that somehow following a, a religious menu of responsibility, somehow coming to church, somehow dressing up on Sunday, and, and somehow, Lord, doing the things we do, somehow, Lord, all of this adds up to to a, a life of following you, Lord, but it, but it doesn't, Lord. We can't follow you if we don't want you. We can't have you, Lord, if we don't desire you above everything else. Lord, we are your church. We are your people. And yet, Lord, so many of us have departed from following you closely. Lord, so many of us in this house, Lord, we continue to cling to our pet sins. God, help us. Lord, we continue to bargain with you and negotiate with you and act as if we can pick and choose your commandments. We can act as if we can follow you on Sunday and live like hell on Friday. And God, you've got to help us. Lord, I pray that you would bend us. Lord, I pray that you would bend me. Lord, I pray that you would loom so large in this church, loom so large over us, Lord, loom so large in our hearts that everything else begins to look very, very small, very, very unimportant, very worthless. Oh, Christ, help us to know you, to desire you, to want you. And having you, Lord, Help us to remember that there's nothing else we need. God, I pray that you would break hard hearts. I pray that you would shatter proud hearts. I, I pray, Lord, that you would break the backs, Lord, of men in this house, Lord, who simply will not live as men for you. I pray for women, Lord, who will not, will not submit to you, Lord, and live as your daughters, Lord. I pray for children and youth, Lord, who already are learning, Lord, that other things in life seem to matter more than you, Lord. God, help the young people to pray the prayer like the rest of us, Lord. Bend us. Bend us. Bend us. So that our entire lives, Lord, face in your direction. Lord, we want you more than anything. Come into this house. Come into our 
hearts. Revive us. We pray in Jesus' name, but for our sakes. Amen.